everybody, this is Chloe, your old friend, your old host, your old pal. I'm coming back with a new episode of Chloe Navis Stories. The day is May 17th, 2021, and we are so excited to be here again. So I know we have been gone for like three weeks a month. I don't really remember. I'm so sorry. We are going to be posting our usual Monday through Friday. Hopefully we don't have to change it to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but if we do, we are so sorry. It's just sometimes schedules are too hard to keep up with. Monday might be especially hard because I'm going back to in-person school on and Tuesday, but I can always record on the weekend, so hopefully this will work out. So, as I said, we're... Oh, I didn't say that. So, we're going to be reading Madeline Lingle's A Wrinkle in Time, a Newberry Medal, Newberry Award book, and you've probably heard of this book. I mean, you hear about it everywhere. You hear it in books, you've read it, you've heard your friends talk about it, your teachers have mentioned it, it's on your reading list, you've seen the movie or the three-part series from 19 who knows what. It's super popular, it's super famous, and I'm so excited to share it with you. I've loved it, Ava's loved it, and we're just super excited. So I'm going to read the back of the book and then we can get started. And, oh, by the way, by the way, there is a series, but I don't think I'm going to read those because these books are kind of big and I don't know if I really want to read it all. I'm sorry about that, but it's just I don't think you want me reading five books the same series and even if you do there's probably other people who don't but yeah so here's this is the back it was a dark and stormy night out of that wild night a strange visitor comes to the murray house and beckons meg her brother charles wallace and their friend calvin o'keefe on a most dangerous and extraordinary adventure one that will threaten their lives and our universe okay let's get going Chapter 1, Mrs. Whatset. It was a dark and stormy night. In her attic bedroom, Margaret Murray, wrapped in an old patchwork quilt, sat on the foot of her bed and watched the trees tossing in the frenzied lashing of the wind. Behind the trees, clouds scudded frantically across the sky. Every few moments, the moon ripped through them, creating wrath-like shadows that raced along the ground. The house shook. Wrapped in her quilt, Meg shook. She wasn't usually afraid of weather. It's not just the weather, she thought. It's the weather on top of everything else. On top of me. On top of Meg Murray doing everything wrong. School was... School. School was all wrong. She'd been dropped down to the lowest section in her grade. That morning, one of her teachers had said crossly, Really, Meg, I don't understand how a child with parents as brilliant as yours are... are supposed to be are supposed to be can be such a poor student if you don't manage to do a little better you'll have to stay back next year during lunch she'd roughhoused a little trying to make herself feel better and one of the girls said scornfully after all meg we aren't all grammar school kids anymore why do you always act like such a baby and on the way home from school walking up to the road with her arms full of books one of the boys had said something about her dumb baby brother 
At this, she had thrown the books on the side of the road and tackled him with every ounce of strength she had and arrived home with her blouse torn and a big bruise under one eye. Sandy and Denny, her ten-year-old twin brothers who had got home from school an hour earlier than she did, were disgusted. Let us do the fighting when it's necessary, they told her. A delinquent, that's what I am, she thought grimly. That's what they'll be saying next, not mother, but them, everybody else. I wish father. But it was not possible to think about her father without the danger of tears. Only her mother could talk about him in a natural way, saying, When your father gets back, get back from where and when? Surely her mother must know what people were saying, must be aware of the smugly vicious gossip. Surely it must hurt her as it did Meg. But if it did, she gave no outward sign. Nothing ruffled the serenity of her expression. Why can't I hide it too, Meg thought. Why do I always have to show everything? The window rattled madly in the wind, and she pulled the quilt close about her. Curled up on one of her pillows, a gray fluff of kitten yawned, showing its pink tongue, tucked its head under again, and went back to sleep. Everyone was asleep. Everybody except Meg, even Charles Wallace, the dumb baby brother who had uncanny, had an uncanny way of knowing when she was awake and unhappy and would come up and would come so many nights tiptoeing up the attic stairs to her. Even Charles Wallace was asleep. How could they sleep? All day on the radio there had been hurricane warnings. How could they leave her up in the attic in the rickety brass bed knowing that the roof might be blown right off the house? and she tossed out of the wild night sky to land who knows where. Her shivering grew uncontrollable. You asked to have the attic bedroom, she told herself savagely. Mother let you have it because you're the oldest. It's privilege, not a punishment. Not during a hurricane is it a privilege, she said out loud. She tossed the quilt down on the foot of the bed and stood up. The, cri- the kitten stretched luxuriously and looked up at her with huge, innocent eyes. Go back to sleep, Meg said. Just be glad you're a kitten and not a monster like me. She looked at herself in the wardrobe mirror and made a horrible face, bearing a mouthful of teeth covered with braces. Automatically, she pushed her glasses into position, ran her fingers through her mouth of brown hair, so it stood wildly on end and then let out... A sigh almost as noisy as the wind. The wide wooden floorboards were cold against her feet. The wind blew in the crevices crevices about the window frame. In spite of the protection the storm sash was supposed to offer. She could hear the wind howling in, howl, howling in the chimneys. From all the way downstairs she could hear Fortinbras, the big black dog, starting to bark. He must be frightened, too. What was he barking at? Fortinbras never barked without a reason. Suddenly, she remembered what she had go- when she had gone to the post office to pick up the mail. She'd heard about a tramp who was supposed to have stolen 12 sheets from Mrs. Buncombe. And the constable's wife, they hadn't caught him, and maybe he was heading for the Murray's house right now, isolated on a back road as she was, as it was, and this time maybe he'd be after more than sheets. Meg hadn't paid much attention to the talk about the tramp at the time, but because of the postmistress with a sugary smile, 
had asked if she'd heard from her father lately. She left her little room, made her way through the shadow of the main annex, bumping against the ping-pong table. Now I'll have a bruise on my hip on top of everything else, she thought. Next, to the, next she walked into the old doll's house, Charles Wallace's rocking horse, the twins' electric trance. Why must everything happen to me, she demanded of a large teddy bear. At the foot of the attic stairs, she stood still and listened. Not a sound from Charles Wallace's room on the right, and the left her parents' room. Not a rustle from her mother sleeping alone in the great double bed. She tiptoed down the hall and into the twins' room, pushing again at her dark glasses as though they were, they could help her see better in the dark. Danny was snoring. Sandy murmured something about baseball and subsided. The twins didn't have any problems. They were great students, but. They weren't great students, but they weren't bad ones either. They were perfectly content with succession of B's and an occasional A or C. They were strong and fast runners and good at games. And when cracks made about, were made about anybody in the Murray family, they weren't about, made about Sandy and Denny. She left the twins' room and went on downstairs avoiding the creaking seventh step. Fort and Bras had stopped barking. It wasn't the trip this time, then Fort would go and barking if anyone was c- anybody was around. But suppose the tramp does come. Suppose he has a knife. Nobody lives near enough to hear if we screamed and screamed and screamed. Nobody care anyone. I'll make myself some cocoa, she decided. That'll cheer me up, and if the roof blows off, at least I won't go off with it. In the kitchen light was in the kitchen a light was already on and Charles Wallace was sitting at the table drinking milk and eating bread and jam. He looked very small and vulnerable sitting there along in the big old fashioned kitchen, a blonde little boy in faded blue Dr. Burdentons, his feet swinging a good six feet above the floor. Hi, he said cheerfully. I've been waiting for you. From under the table where he was lying at Charles Wallace's feet, hoping for a crumb or two, Fortin Braz raised his slender dark head in greeting to Meg, and his tail thumped against the floor. Fortin Braz had arrived on their doorstep, a half-grown puppy, scrawny and abandoned, on one winter night. He was, Meg's father had decided, part Louis Lewin and Setter and part Greyhound, and he had a slender dark beauty that was all his own. Why didn't you come to the attic, Meg asked her brother, speaking as though he were at least her own age. I've been scared stiff. Too windy up in that attic of yours, the little boy said. I knew you'd be down. I put on some milk on the stove for you. It ought to be hot by now. How could Charles Wallace always know about her? How could he always tell? He never knew, seemed to care, what Sandy and Denny's were thinking. It was his mother's mind and Meg's that he probed with frightening accuracy. Was it because people were a little afraid of him that they whispered about the Murray's youngest child who was rumored to be not quite right? I've heard that clever people often have some subnormal children Meg had once overheard. The two boys seemed to be nice, regular children, but that unattractive girl and the baby boy certainly aren't all there. It was true Charles Wallace seldom spoke when anybody was around, so that many people thought he never learned to talk. And it was true that he hadn't talked in 
all it tells you was on his floor. Meg would turn white with fury when people looked at him and clucked, shaking their heads sadly. Don't worry about Charles Wallace, Meg, her father had once told her. Meg remembered it very clearly because it was shortly before he went away. There's nothing the matter with his mind. He just does things in his own way, in his own time. I don't want him to grow up to be dumb like me, Meg had said. Oh, my darling, you are not dumb, her father had answered. You're like Charles Wallace. Your development has to go at its own pace. It just doesn't happen to be the usual pace. How do you know, Meg had demanded. How do you know I'm not dumb? Isn't it just because you love me? I love you, but that's not what tells me. Mother and I have given given you a number of tests, you know. Yes, that was true. Meg had realized that some of the games her parents played with her were tests of some kind, and there had been more for her and Charles Wallace than for the twins. IQ test, you mean? Yes, some of them. Is my IQ okay? More than okay. What is it? I'm not going to tell you, but it assures me that both you and Charles Wallace will be able to do pretty much whatever you like when you grow up, up yourselves. You just wait until Charles Wallace starts to talk, you see? You'll see. How right he had been about that, though he himself had left before Charles Wallace began to speak. Suddenly, with none of the usual baby promulgators using entire sentences, how proud he would have been. You better check the milk, Charles Wallace said to Meg. Now, his dictatorship and clearer and cleaner than that of most five-year-olds. You know you don't like it when it gets the skin on top. You put more than twice enough milk, Meg. Egg peered into the saucepan. Meg's, while Charles Wallace nodded sincerely. I thought Mother might like some. I might like what? A voice said, and there was their mother standing in the doorway. Coco, Charles Wallace said. Would you like a liverwurst and cream cheese sandwich? I'll be happy to make you one. That would be lovely, Mrs. Murray said. But I can make it for myself if you're busy. No trouble at all. Charles Wallace slid down from his chair and trotted over to the refrigerator, his pajama and feet padding softly as a kitten. How about you, Meg? He asked. Sandwich? Yes, please. She said, but not liverwurst. Do we have any tomatoes? Charles Wallace peered into the crisper. One. All right if we use it on Meg, Mother? To what better use could it be put? Mrs. Murray smiled. But not so loud, please, Charles. That is, unless you want the twins downstairs, too. Let's be exclusive, Charles Wallace said. That's my new word for the day. Impressive, isn't it? Prodigious, Mrs. Murray said. Meg, come with me and let me look at that bruise. Meg knelt at her mother's feet. The warmth and light of the kitchen had relaxed her so that her attic fears were gone. The cocoa steamed fragrantly in the saucepan. German aminus bloomed on the windowsill. And there was a bouquet of tiny yellow... Well, chrysanthemums in the center of the table. Gee, Madeline, Madeline Lingo put some hard words in this book. In the center of the table, the curtains red with a blue and green geomatical pattern were drawn and seemed to reflect their cheerfulness throughout the room. The furnace purred like a great sleepy animal. The lights glowed with steady radiance. Outside alone in the dark, the wind still battered against the house. But the angry power that had frightened Meg while she was alone in the attic was subdued by the familiar comfort of the kitchen. Underneath Mrs. Murray's chair, Fortin Bras let out a content sigh. 
Mrs. Murray gently touched Meg's bruised cheek. Meg looked up at her mother, half in loving admiration, half in sullen resentment. It was not an advantage to have a mother who was a scientist and a beauty as well. Mrs. Murray's flaming red hair, creamy skin, and violet eyes with dark long lashes seemed even more spectacular in comparison with Meg's outrageous plainness. Meg's hair had been passable as long as she wore it in tiddly braids. When she went into high school, it was cut, and now she and her mother struggled with putting it up. But one side would come out curly and the other straight, so that she looked even plainer than before. You don't know what the meaning of moderation You do you don't know the meaning of moderation, do you, my darling? Mrs. Murray asked. A happy medium is something I wonder wonder you'll if you'll ever learn. That's a nasty bruise the Henderson boy gave you. By the way, shortly after you'd gone up to bed, his mother called to complain about how badly you hurt him. I told her that since he's a year older and at least 25 pounds heavier than you are, I thought I was the one who ought to be complaining, but she seemed to think it was all your fault. I suppose that depends on how you look at it, Meg said. Usually, no matter what happens, people think it's all my fault, even if I have nothing to do with it at all. But I'm sorry I tried to fight him. It's just been an awful week and I'm full of bad feeling. Mrs. Murray stroked Meg's shaggy head. Do you know why? I hate being an oddball, Meg said. It's hard on Sandy and Denny, too. Who? I don't know if they're really like everybody else or if they just pretend they are. I tried to pretend, but it isn't any help. You're much too straightforward to be able to pretend to be what you aren't, Mrs. Murray said. And I'm sorry, Maglet. Maybe if your father were here, he could help you, but I don't think I can do anything till you've managed to plow through some more time. Then things will be easier for you. But this isn't much help right now, is it? Maybe if I weren't so repulsive looking, maybe if I were pretty like you. Mother's not a bit pretty. She's beautiful, Charles and Wallace announced, slicing liverwurst. Therefore, I bet she was awful at your age. How right you are, Mrs. Murray said. Just give yourself time, Meg. Let us on your sandwich, Mother? Charles Wallace asked. No, thanks. He cut the sandwich into sections and put it on a plate. He didn't set it in front of his mother. Girls will be along in a minute, in just a minute, Meg. I think I'll talk to Mrs. Whatsit about you. Who's Mrs. Whatsit? I think we ought to be exclusive about her for a while. Onion salt? Yes, please. What's Mrs. Whatsit stand for? Mrs. Murray asked. That's her name, Charles Wallace answered. You know the old shingled house back, back in the woods that kids won't go near because they say it's haunted? That's where they live. They? Mrs. Whatsit and her two friends. I was out with Fortinbras a couple days ago. You and the twins were at school, Meg. We like to walk in the woods, and suddenly he took off after a squirrel and took off, and I took off after him, and we ended up by the haunted house where I met them by accident, as you might say. But nobody lives there, Meg said. Mrs. Whatsit and her friends do. They're very enjoyable. Why didn't you tell me about this before, Mrs. Murray asked. And you know you're not supposed to go off property without permission. I know, Charles Wallace said. That's one reason I didn't tell you. I just rushed off after Fort and Browns without thinking. And then I decided, well, I'd better save them for an energy anyhow. A fresh gust of wind took the house and shook it, and suddenly the rain began to lash against the windows. 
I don't think I like this wind, Meg said nervously. We'll lose some shingles off the roof, that's certain, Mrs. Murray said. But this house has stood for almost 200 years, and I think it'll last a little longer, Meg. There's been a, many a high wind up on this hill. But this is a hurricane, Meg wailed. The radio kept saying it was a hurricane. It's October, Mrs. Murray told her. There have been plenty of storms in October before. As Charles Wallace gave Meg her sandwich, Fortin Brows came out from under the table, gave a long, low growl. They could see the dark fur slowly rising on his back. Meg felt her own skin prickle. What's wrong? she asked anciently. Fortin Brows stared at the door that opened into Mrs. Murray's laboratory, which was in the old stone dairy right off the kitchen. Beyond the lab, a pantry led out Doris through the family through the through Mrs. Murray had done her best to train the family to come into the house through the garage door or the front door and not through her lab. But it was the lab door, not the garage door, towards which Fortinbras was growling. You didn't leave any nasty-smelling chemicals cooking over a Bunsen burner, did you, Mother? Charles Wallace asked. Mrs. Murray stood up. No, but I think I'd better see what's upsetting Fort anyhow. It's the tramp. I'm sure it's the tramp, Mick said nervously. What tramp? Charles Wallace asked. They were saying at the post office this afternoon that a tramp stole all Mrs. Buncombe's sheets. We'd better sit on a the pillowcases then, Mrs. Murray said lightly. I don't think even a tramp would be out on a night like this, Meg. That's probably why he's out, Meg wailed, trying to find a place not to be out. In which case, I'll offer him the barn until morning. Mrs. Murray went briskly to the door. I'll go with you, Meg's voice was shrill. No, Meg, you stay with Charles and eat your sandwich. Eat, Meg exclaimed as Mrs. Murray went through the lab. How does she expect me to eat? Mother can take care of herself, Charles Wallace said. Physically, that is. But he sat in his father's chair at the table, and his legs kicked at the rungs. And Charles Wallace, unlike most small children, had the ability to sit still. After a few moments that seemed like forever to Meg, Mrs. Murray came in, holding the door open for... Was it the tramp? It seemed small for Meg's idea of a tramp. The age or sex was impossible to tell, for it was completely bundled up in clothes. Several scarves of assorted colors were tied about the head, and a man's felt hat perched at the top. A shocking pink spool was knotted above a rough overcoat, and a black rub- and black rubber boots covered the feet. Mrs. What's it? Charles said suspiciously. What are you doing here? And at this time of the night, too. Now, don't you be worried, my honey. A voice emerged from him and turned up collar, coat, and stole scarf and hat. A voice like an uncoiled gate, but somehow not unpleasant. Mrs. Uh, what's it? Says she lost her way, Mrs. Murray said. Would you care for some hot chocolate, Mrs. What's it? Charmed, I'm sure. Mrs. Watson answered, talking, take, taking off the hat and stole. It isn't much that I lost my way as that I got blown off course. And when I realized that I was at little Charles Wallace's house, I thought I'd just come in and rest a bit before proceeding on my way. How did you know this was Charles Wallace's house? Meg asked. By the smell, Mrs. Watson untied a blue and green paisley scarf, red and yellow flowered print, a gold liberty print, a black and red, 
a red and black bandana. Under all this, a sparse quantity of grayish hair was tied in a small but tidy knot on top of her head. Her eyes were bright, her nose around soft blood, her mouth puckered like an autumn apple. My, but it's lovely and warm in here, she said. Do sit down, Mrs. Murray indicated a chair. Would you like a sandwich, Mrs. Watson? I had liverwurst and cream cheese. Charles has a bread and jam and meg lettuce and potato. Tomato. Now let me see, Mrs. Watson pondered. I'm passionately passionate. I'm passionately fond of Russian caviar. You peaked! Charles Wallace cried indignantly. We're saving that for Mother's birthday, and you can't have any! Mrs. Watson gave a deep and pathetic sigh. No, Charles said. Now, you mustn't give her in. You mustn't give in to her, Mother, or I shall be very angry. How about a tuna fish salad? All right, Mrs. Watson said meekly. I'll fix it, Meg offered, going to the pantry for a can of tuna fish. Crying out loud, she thought, this old woman comes barging in on us in the middle of the night and mother takes that all as there weren't anything peculiar about it at all. I'll bet she is the tramp. I'll bet she did steal those sheets. And she's certainly no one Charles Wallace ought to be friends with, especially when he won't even talk to ordinary people. I've only been in the neighborhood for a short time, Mrs. Watson was saying as Meg switched off the pantry light and came back into the kitchen with the tuna fish. With the tuna fish. And I didn't think I was going to like the neighbors at all until dear little Charles Wallace came over with his dog. Mrs. Watson, Charles Wallace demanded severely, why did you take Mrs. Bunkerby's sheets? Well, I needed them, Charles dear. You must return them at once. Charles, dear, I can't. I've used them. It was very wrong of you, Charles Wallace scolded. You, if you needed sheets that badly, you should have asked me. Mrs. Watson shook her head and clucked. You can't spare any sheets, Miss Buckham can. Meg cut up some celery and mixed it in with the tuna. After a moment of hesitation, she opened the refrigerator and brought out a jar of little sweet pickles. I, why I'm doing it for her, I don't know. She, th- she thought she cut them up. I don't trust her one bit. Tell your sister I'm all right, Mrs. Watson said to Charles. Tell her my intentions are good. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, Charles said, intoned. My, but isn't he cunning, Mrs. Watson beamed at him fondly. It's lucky he has someone to understand him. But I'm afraid he doesn't, Mrs. Murray said. None of us quite are, is quite up to Charles. But at least you aren't trying to squish him down, Mrs. Watson nodded her head vigorously. You're letting him be himself. Here's your sandwich, Meg said, bringing it to Mrs. Watson. Do you mind if I take my boots off before I eat, Mrs. Watson asked, picking up the sandwich nevertheless. Listen, she moved her feet up and down in her boots, and they could hear water squelching. My toes are ever so down. The trouble is, is these boots are might too tight for me, and I never can take them off myself. I'll help you, Charles Wallace offered. Oh, you're not strong enough. 
I'll help. Mrs. Murray squatted at Mrs. Wetsit's feet, yanking on one slick boot. When the boot came off, it came suddenly. Mrs. Murray sat down with a thump, and Mrs. Wetsit went tucking back, tumbling backwards with the chair onto the floor. Sandwich held high in one claw. Water poured out of the boot and ran all over the floor, or in the big braided rug. Oh, dear you me, Mrs. Wetsit said, lying on her back of the overturned chair, her feet in the air. One in a red and white striped sock, the other still booted. Mrs. Murray got to her feet. Are you all right, Mrs. Wetsit? If you still have some litmus, I can... I'll put it on my dignity, Mrs. Wetsit said, so supine. I think it's sprayed a little. The oil cloves mixed well with the garlic. It's rather good. She took a bite of her sandwich. Do please get up. Charles Ellis said, I don't like to see you lying there that way. You're carrying things too far. Have you ever tried to get to your feet with a sprained dignity? But Mrs. Watson scrambled up, righted the chair, and then sat down on the floor and booted the... The booted foot stuck out in front of her and took another bite. She moved with great agility for such an old woman. At least Meg was reasonably sure that she was an old woman, and a very old woman at that. Mrs. Watsit, her mouth full, ordered Miss Murray, n- Murray, now pull while I'm already down. Quite calmly, as though this old woman in her boots were nothing out of the ordinary, Mrs. Murray pulled until the second boot relinquished the foot. This foot was covered with a gray and blue and gray agrile sock, and Mrs. Watsit sat there, wiggling her toes, contentedly finishing her sandwich before scrambling to her feet. Ah, she said, that's ever so much better, and took both boots and shook them out over the sink. My stomach is full, and I'm worn inside and out, and I think it's time I went home. Don't you think you better stay till morning, Mrs. Murray asked. Oh, thank you, dearie, but there is so much to do, and I just can't waste time sitting around frivoling. It's too wild a night to travel in. Wild nights are my glory, this is what it said. I just got caught in a downdraft and got blown off course. Well, at least wait till your socks are dry. But socks don't bother me. I just don't like the water squishing around my boots. Now don't worry about me, lamb. Lamb was not a word one would ordinary think of calling Mrs. Murray. I shall just sit down for a moment and pop on my boots and I'll be on my way. Speaking of ways, pet, by the way, if there is such a thing as a tesseract. Mrs. Murray went very white and with one hand reached back and clutched a chair for support. Her voice trembling. What did you say? Mrs. Watson tugged at her second boot. I said, she grunted, shoving her foot in, there is, shove, such a thing, shove, as a tesseract. Her foot went down to the boot and grabbed, and grabbing shawls, scarves, and a hat, she hustled out the door. Mrs. Murray stayed very still, making no move to help the old woman. As the door opened, Fortinbras streaked in, panning wet and shiny as a seal. He looked at Mrs. Murray and whined. The door slammed. Mother, what's the matter? Meg cried. What did she say? What is it? Tesseract, Mrs. Murray whispered. What does she mean? She's known. And we will be starting off tomorrow, May May 18th. Yeah, May 18th, with another episode of Chloe and Ava's Stories. As usual, down below in the description, there is a link for you to reach us to send us voice messages or voice messages 
and or shout out requests all you have to do is scroll down a little bit and on our website and click give us and click record a message or whatever it is and then you can record a message up to one minute whether it's book requests or shout out requests if it's shout out requests you gotta let me know in that recording whether you want me to just say it or you want me to play it or you'd rather me just be anonymous about it unless it's a shout out you just gotta tell me the first two who and yeah thank you Please subscribe, give us a few stars, a review, or just tell friends and family about our show. It really helps the support, especially if you like it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really enjoyed being back, and I will see you tomorrow with another episode of Chloe and Ava Stories. And tribute to our favorite show, Sister Sister. Go home, Roger!